uh, shows I'm I've been binge watching like again like rewatching is Veep. Oh my god, I love Veep. You I like it? love Veep. I... You watch Veep? I'm impressed. Of course, I watch Veep. <laughs> Not you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Activist Class. We are social distancing from ourselves. We are trying out a new <laughs> platform um, and we are recording uh, remotely. I have a fever of 100.4. Will you do? Um, yeah. Oh yeah, it'll, it, it'll, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. Um, uh, I'm Spec and I am here with Aretha. Hey! Chrissy. Hello. And Day. Stop going outside. <laughs> Damn right. We're here with Councilmember Shalma Sawant to talk about COVID-19 and what our city's doing to protect the folks who are feeling the impacts of that more immediately um, because of layoffs and because of children out of school and because of our unhoused neighbors continuously being swept and our lack of tests. And capitalism. Yeah, let's start with that. Um, uh, I think it's pretty public knowledge. And, you know, this is, I feel like anything dealing with the coronavirus and uh, people impacted, um, word spreads pretty fast. And obviously there's a lot of speculation, no pun intended, rumors. <laughs> no pun intended. Like <laughs> <laughs> um but one thing I definitely know that people have been um, understanding is that there is a temporary halt on evictions. And um, can you remind us when that when that officially takes place and um, kind of what the late stages of that process look like? Yeah, the the mayor, you know, under the the executive privileges that have been granted to her from the vote that was taken by the city council uh, a week ago, I think, is uh, has issued an executive order. But I think, you know, the origin of this whole idea of an eviction moratorium really comes from worker and renter organizing. We had a public letter from a lot of organizations, including Working Washington, Washington Community Action Network, also my organization, Socialist Alternative, so, to the mayor, to the city council, to the King County executive, and also to the governor saying, look, you, you, it's, you, know, you have to show leadership. In, we are in a pandemic and some basic needs have right. to be fulfilled because working people are all, you know, the norm of capitalism is that most working people are suffering to various degrees. But on top of that, the system is completely incapable of dealing with the pandemic. You know, it's coming apart at the seams right now. And really, there's no, there's, in my mind, there's been no better time than now for us to demonstrate that it's ordinary people, workers, when we get collectively organized, that is when we can actually make good things happen and really take charge of a situation that is very quickly uh, spinning out of control. And so it was through through that kind of thinking that we had this public letter from a number of grassroots organizations. And my office initiated a petition which uh, was signed. Uh, it's still being shared, but it was signed by 8,600 
renters and you know working people in the city who are saying that uh, we many of us have been laid off many of us are having our hours cut social distancing is requiring and now the governor has passed a mandate that non essential businesses should not be operating right now in order to um you know take medical advice seriously but what are the workers supposed to do you know it really immediately first of all brought to the surface the fact that in the richest country in the history of humanity we don't even have guaranteed paid leave i mean things are so at such a uh, abysmal situation and it really is also revealing the consequences of not having had a militant fighting labor movement in the last many decades when even some of the gains that we had won or in earlier decades we've lost and so now you know workers are starting to get organized and we were able to win this eviction moratorium i just wanted to add two things to this this is a huge victory first of all uh, it shows that even during the days of social distancing online organizing works and i want everybody who's watching mm -hmm. this to take this very very seriously please join us in the online social media organizing it works because ultimately it is a question of showing political leadership and the establishment is not going to do that so that's one thing but the other thing is mm -hmm. we if you look at our petition we don't just talk about residential and commercial uh, eviction moratorium which of course we need to that's a starting point but we are talking about two other very important components that also need to be passed by the mayor one is a foreclosure moratorium because there are working class and middle class people who are in homes you know they've somehow managed to get together some equity and own a home there are retirees who are not going to be able to pay yeah. presumably their property taxes you know depending on how long this goes so that's one thing the other thing is we don't want just a moratorium and then when the pandemic the worst of the pandemic is over then landlords get to start evicting or banks start to uh, get to start foreclosing we don't want that so in addition to the moratorium on evictions and foreclosures we also want to mandate uh, uh, that landlords and mortgage holders and utilities work out payment plans reasonable payment plans for the next 24 months after the pandemic so that people are actually able to pay off what they owe because look they're not going to be able to pay off all the rent 60% of america does not have $1000 put away so how likely is that to pass well, or how likely do you think i think the foreclosure i mean cuz the rent thing seemed to right happen pretty rapidly it did it right? did happen rapidly but honestly it happened because uh working class people just immediately gathered around this organizing strategy and that's what we're going to need for foreclosure eviction i mean sorry foreclosure moratorium and the the idea of actually working out reasonable payment plans as well it may not happen right away but i am quite confident that once the eviction moratorium sort of sinks into consciousness people will start thinking ahead and start they will of course realize that look uh, that's fantastic we won a, an eviction moratorium that's a huge victory and i have been part of that but i'm going to have trouble paying several months of rent together that's going to be an impossibility so I can't guarantee that we will win but I do know that it is absolutely possible to win if we keep getting organized. I was going to say um obviously like we're seeing countries around the world grapple with this as well. What are some other things that you've seen happen around the globe that you'd like to see implemented here in Seattle? Well first of all the question of eviction moratorium as I said I mean it's a good thing but we're also seeing I think some countries I'm if I'm not mistaken Italy did this and of course we don't want to be in the same situation as italy we want to be able to avoid the worst case scenarios of this pandemic but uh, there there was a f uh, there was a sort of a freeze on foreclosures i mean so sorry uh, freeze on 
rent and mortgage payments actually so not even having to pay your rent so we may come to that i don't know it's a question of you know what the situation demands but i think that uh, there are two things that would emerge to me like immediately in terms of what what needs to be done and what can be done one is related to the medical question of testing and treatment and i think i am afraid i'm as look i'm i'm an economist i'm not a doctor i'm not a medical professional of any kind so i'm still trying to gain clarity myself on this but i am very afraid that uh, a lot of the public health officials here in the us may be accepting uh, what is not a good situation because they can't change it or they don't see how they can change it and just to be uh, just to explain what i'm saying I don't think we are anywhere where we need to be for for testing and and you know anybody who's watching this if you have more understanding of the medical questions I I would really uh, appreciate hearing from you you know please uh, also directly connect with me uh, through my office email but I feel based on what we are hearing from the World Health Organization and from doctors around the world that not having absolutely widespread testing is a problem and i think that continues to be the problem and i feel like statistically speaking i still don't know anyone personally who's been diagnosed with coronavirus to me that's i mean i am a statistician for sure I, i'm not a medical expert but i do know <laughs> statistics and to me that's worrying because it, to me what it mm-hmm. says is not that we are all okay but that we don't some of us don't know that we are uh positive and that we need to make sure that that is happening and just to quote um or paraphrase a, a pediatrician from the UK who is also a former head of the world health organization he said in a guardian article that was published today that we have to be testing like crazy and then social distancing mm-hmm. makes sense so obviously we should absolutely be taking social distancing seriously all the epidemiologists are absolutely correct about it but we need testing so the reason i'm bringing that up is because that not only brings up the question of the complete incompetence of the trump administration and all the problematic scenarios you know with the cdc the wrong approach that the centers for disease control end up ended up taking but even with that having been corrected testing is not widely available it's free and that's a victory that we won actually through our movement also online movement in the state we had the governor declare that testing will be free but testing is not actually available so it doesn't help that it's free if most of us are being told that we we maybe don't have the exact symptoms but i feel like a pandemic is a is a situation where you need to uh lean in the direction of testing a lot rather than not testing very much and being conservative about it just to me it seems like common sense and as i said again we're still trying to contact other medical professionals to see what they say and then the other thing that it brings up i think in terms of the question that was asked you know what what else should we be doing I, I paramount as paramount as the medical questions are what are working people going to do when they don't have a paycheck period people are literally living barely living paycheck to paycheck most of us are in debt not just student debt but we are in debt because our incomes don't uh, keep up with the expenses of basic living and so how are we going to survive so uh you know you 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 all know and you know we we've all been uh, part of these movements together you know that we we've, we've already uh, released a tax amazon legislation from my office separately in the movement there is a movement for a ballot initiative but look right now there's an emergency in fact 
uh, Amazon and big businesses need to be taxed right now to make cash assistance available for working people who are losing their incomes. And that is something that uh, that's the main petition. I mean, I know we, we, we may get petition fatigue because that's the only avenue we have now to organize because we can't have public rallies. But if there's one takeaway I would want your viewers to take from this podcast, that petition that we have launched to tax Amazon and big business immediately to the tune of at least 500 million, if not more, to provide cash assistance for people who are suffering right now, that's of paramount importance. So I, re I would really urge everybody to support that. So obviously you're part of the city government so it's probably your priority but do you see that as mainly the city's responsibility or the state or a national it really thing? is i mean it might have to be some combination but. yes in fact it should be from every avenue possible because i mean just to give you an example of the scale of the crisis you know just in seattle you know for for the research that we did, we had to do to uh, uh, draft the tax, tax Amazon legislation as a whole in general. This was before the pandemic. As you know, we uh, brought forward a legislation for $300 million by taxing the largest businesses to provide funds for a major expansion of social housing and the Green New Deal. We still want to do that, but after the pandemic is dealt with. Uh, but in, in researching for that legislation, we know the estimates for the over, overall payroll in our city, it's around 70 billion or so, 65, 70 billion. So even if you say that a, a significant proportion, not all of them are going to be needing some sort of cash assistance, we are talking about, it's safe to say, I don't have the exact numbers yet, we're still doing the research, but it's safe to say it's going to be well beyond $500 million. So we're talking mm -hmm. in the billions mm -hmm. of dollars. So that's the, that's the bare minimum I think that will be needed, um, but um, you know, so it, it needs to be. It, it, it needs to be seen. Um, I have a quick question. I heard recently that some of the stimulus packages or some stimulus options were going to be directed towards large businesses in the downtown retail core to replenish the city's general fund, and that that tactically basically ignores all of the racial equity work that has been done and um, businesses in the Chinatown International District and communities of color won't be the first to get that access to that funding. So how do you see including a racial equity lens into the work that needs to be done right now? That's absolutely true. And in fact, that is a problem. Actually, you know, the, the, the status quo of uh, such a a system like capitalism that is so deeply hostile to the most of us, including marginalized businesses, especially immigrant and people of color owned. This is bound to happen unless we are absolutely fighting for the small print in the executive orders and the legislation. We are not going to win what we need. And instead, as you said, uh, Chrissy, correctly, uh, what we are fighting for will end up benefiting businesses that actually, you know, that are have big cash reserves that don't need it. In fact, we've already seen exp examples of this. You know, a lot of the big businesses, these are not Amazons, but they're still big businesses compared to their Chinatown International District kind of businesses and businesses in South Seattle or in the CD. Uh, the, some of the very well-off businesses, businesses with lots of cash reserves, have already gotten sweetheart, sweetheart deals again and again through various projects, you know, including the waterfront deal, 
So it's not a new thing. And what, what is stunning, though, that even in the middle of a pandemic, you see the ruling class and the political establishment taking every opportunity to squeeze the rest of us out. I mean, I can't tell you how disgusted I am by that. I'm not surprised by it, but I am disgusted and stunned by the extent to which they will go. And you're talking about a local example. Look at what's happened with the Trump administration and the Federal Reserve saying that they're going to use $1.5 trillion to see if they can revive the stock market. Now, first of all, and now, you know, speaking as an econ economist for a second, first of all, it's so wrong. What about the uh, the relief that ordinary people need throughout the nation? But secondly, you saw what happened last night. The Fed said that they were going to use their, you know, that old trick in the book, which is to slash interest rates. And they've slashed the interest rate near zero, hoping that it would revive the stock market. But the exact opposite happened today. Actually, it was one of the biggest slump days. And it's showing not only the injustice under capitalism, but the fact that this good old quantitative easing trick is no longer working in the economy in the context of the pandemic. It shows that capitalism as a system is a house of cards. This whole financial system is a house of cards and it's not going to work. And unless workers provide leadership by collectively organizing, not just for reforms, in the pandemic, but actually providing a vision of an alternative system, this is really, you know, it's it's coming apart at the seams. Yes, I want to make that point, though, because I think you do have, you know, uh, I appreciate you saying you're not a doctor and there's a lot of things we're still waiting on, but you do have a PhD in economy, right? You are I, I do, an yes. economist. Yeah. <laughs> and this is this is something that you definitely can speak on. Right. And I think a lot of people are worried nationally that we're heading into a recession. Um, is that is that something that you believe is pretty inevitable at this point, and is something that communities should start preparing for? Absolutely, and in fact, uh, in fact, not only have there been prognosis about the recession in uh, January, starting in January, uh, when the pandemic—I mean, it wasn't still qualified as a pandemic—and in fact, by the way, the World Health Organization played a terrible job in not classifying it as a pandemic early uh, even when they knew it and this is what happens when there are all these uh political uh parties and you know businesses at the top that don't want to uh, actually uh, accurately characterize the crisis because they think it's going to look bad for them so that's another problem with with this deep inequality but uh, yes, the, it's not just me, but many, you know, bourgeois economists, capitalist economists have been honest enough to say that, yes, we are heading into a recession. But just just to provide a larger context, I mean, obviously, the conditions that are generated directly from this uh, pandemic are of the most uh, uh, are the most emergent right now. But if you if you look at the prognosis for the global economy, even before this happened, it was already, the economy was already heading slowly but surely towards a recession. And it's sort of, in you know, what's happened is that this major crisis of COVID-19 has happened bang in the middle of a period when the global capitalist system has already been in a long-term recession. So, you know, the 2008 Great Recession has had a recovery, but only for the very, very wealthy. If you look at Overall, the overall economic situation in rural America and suburban America, it's not like in Seattle. Seattle has experienced a boom 
in many ways. But in reality, there you you can already even before the pandemic, you've seen signs of a long-term economic malaise, uh, not only in the U.S. but throughout the world. And this this whole crisis is only. Uh, making the economy hurtle towards a recession even faster. And so, yes, this this is something we have to start getting prepared for. But the main point I would draw out of this, of course, is that we, we will hear, and we are already starting to hear, the Fed, the president, all these political establishment leaders, they will talk about shared sacrifice. Remember we heard about shared sacrifice in 2008 and what happened? The big banks, the billionaires, the very same greedy, wealthy who dragged our economy to the precipice, they got bailed out and working people got saddled with 11 million foreclosures, massive unemployment, you know, uh, the wages that have never gotten back to the middle class wages that some, some, of, some of, you know, older generations had. An entire generation of young people saddled with student debt. So, uh, you know, we have to remember and we should not be ashamed. We should proudly be fighting for the rights of the majority. This is not a question of shared sacrifice. The banks, the big banks, the billionaires, they have to pay for this crisis. How are you working with um, regional and state and federal governments on this? It just kind of occurred to me that like Seattle is the home of some of the most powerful multinational or companies in the world that have more money themselves than certain countries. And they're being lobbied by every layer of our government and are being prioritized um, even more than people by every layer of our government. And so in some ways they have a bird's eye view um, that's clearer and more strategic tactically than, than we do as a city, right? So like how can we as a city be ahead of what they see and what they foresee and um, work more strategically, I guess, throughout the layers of government. Yeah, I think that not only do they have a bird's eye view, I think what they do, what they also have, and I think this is the most fundamental difference between what they have and what we don't have unless we get organized, is they have the wealth and with wealth goes the political cl clout. And that political clout stretches all the way from the their influence on, on the city government to US Congress and of course the White House. So they have a tremendous amount of power and influence as we know that even in normal circumstances, let alone right now, allows them to run roughshod over the living standards of ordinary people. And so that's why in, in the last 10, 20, 30 years, we haven't seen uh, ec the ec economic situation improve for working people as a whole and especially among working people the most marginalized you know black and brown workers immigrant workers women it's actually gotten worse for us and you know look at the situation for young people as a whole it's much worse than it was in previous generations and so uh if we are to be strategic in, and i would interpret being strategic for us those of us who are left out of all of this i would interpret for us being strategic means getting organized in the strongest way possible because if that's the only thing we have i mean honestly it sounds like the same thing that i say every time but honestly there is nothing else that works for us every time we have won any victory it is because we got organized and that's why i'm saying that uh, in fact uh, the pandemic is not a time to i mean physically you should be hunkering down and take social distancing seriously but 
mentally and organizationally no it is the last moment to give to be at atomized you we should be coming together and demanding that the burden of this crisis not land on the shoulders of those very same millions who have been uh, marginalized in normal circumstances and so being strategic does mean uh, for us to come together around concrete demands so in other words it, it's yes it's important for us to see each other and acknowledge each other by not just by the thousands but by the millions and you know across cities we should be organizing and hearing each other's stories but building on those stories we have and this is what being strategic means to me is organizing around concrete demands and that's why you know when we launched the uh, the tax amazon for the covid emergency cash assistance you know we launched it at 6 pm last night on social media for for us that doesn't mean that there aren't other things to get organized around as well but for us it means being strategic meaning being recognizing that this is something that is really capturing the attention of ordinary people because they are losing paychecks they are asking themselves who's going to pay for this well i shouldn't have to pay for it big business should have to pay for it so you know it's sort of uh, formulating demands strategically in that way i think makes a lot of sense but i also think and this is sort of relates to the previous questions that also came up which is that we're not going to solve this crisis on a city level but we have to start organizing somewhere so we do that but i do think that in addition to winning victories at the city level we have our movements here have to get connected with movements elsewhere and we have to inspire one another i mean to give you a concrete example when we heard that we had won the eviction residential eviction moratorium uh activists in other cities started launching their own petitions because they saw that this is working so similarly i hope other cities win victories also that we can you know uh build on top of in terms of um how the tax amazon uh movement has shifted in the last 48 hours is for folks who aren't like paying a ton of attention is this track that you guys have pivoted to is that the main tax amazon movement at this point is to address covid and this upcoming recession presumably and then is it intended to like carry over past this crisis or are you organizing on both on both fronts that's very yeah that's a very important uh, and it, again it's actually a strategic question of strategy so before mm -hmm. uh, all of this uh, happened with the coronavirus crisis we you remember we had uh, done a massive launch of the tax amazon movement on january 13th mm -hmm. which was sort of uh, combined with my swearing in also because we wanted to make it about the movement and then since then what we have done and we announced this at the launch that you know uh, one of the successes one of the reasons the 15 now movement succeeded here and then went nationwide uh, is because of the way we did it you know through socialist alternative and progressive union leadership is not just rely on the council to do the right thing because you know we've been betrayed by politicians enough number of times and we just had the repeal of the amazon tax in 2018 so we we know that we cannot just entirely rely on that so this uh, one of the things we did in 15 now while we were agitating to uh, insist that city council should pass it and ultimately that's what happened we got a unanimous vote on our city council ordinance that happened specifically because there was an actual real pressure from a ballot initiative that the move 15 now movement had organized and so where we had announced in the launch that you know we want to use that two prong strategy where we have my uh, socialist city council office fighting for an ordinance uh in city hall but that 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 process would be buttressed by 
a ballot initiative. And in fact, uh, I, I've not been directly very closely involved in the uh, in the development of the ballot initiative, but I am part of uh, a coordinating committee that was elected by the action conferences that were held, one on January 25th and one on February 9th, which was attended by hundreds of people. I mean, this is almost unprecedented, this kind of example, a concrete example of democratic organizing of movements, you know, where we actually uh, debate and discuss the various aspects of the ballot initiative, and then we have an actual vote on it. I mean, when was the last time the Democratic establishment invited us for a vote on some, uh, you know, campaign platform of one of their candidates or who should run? You know, there's such a thing almost never happens. So we wanted to also show an example of what a democratic movement looks like and that we want to hold up the vision and you know that's kind of that's the kind of party we also want for working people so that's the two-pronged strategy we were using anyway and i don't think that that uh, strategy has changed in any way so the work on the ballot initiative is uh, prog progressing obviously you know with social distancing mm -hmm. and everything but uh, mm -hmm. in terms of your specific question which i think is a very important question what we're saying now and you know i'm happy that council member morales has joined me in this effort uh, what we're saying is we need at least $500 million, and as I said, we probably need more, for the immediate coronavirus-related relief for working people and struggling small businesses. But then once the epidemic has been brought under control and we are on, in normal conditions, that tax should be continued for social housing and the Green New Deal. So we, we absolutely want to make mm -hmm. sure that it continues. If we wave a wand and you guys pass this tax today, Jenny Durkin signs it tomorrow morning, how quickly can you get cash into the hands of out-of-work working class folks? That's a that's an Great important question. yeah. It's a very important question. Unfortunately, I don't know. I don't have a specific answer because this is something you know. It's it's we just launched it last night, and this is a specific question, Matt. The question you asked is one of the specific questions we've asked City Council Central staff to uh, give us some insight on. I assume that it would be possible through using other data that it's already available, if not to the city, then to the state. And we'll have to have some agreement of data sharing with the state where we can already identify at least on some, you know, like having some kind of metrics, you know, maybe all the households under 100% of area median income or something like that, like having some sort of measure that will allow us to identify households that immediately need help households that already qualify for the utility discount program. I mean, there's many metrics that, that we already have available. I'm not sure at this moment which ones we'll use, and I'm not even sure that we'll use just one. We'll probably use a combination mm -hmm. of those two, the many things, to make sure that our most vulnerable households are immediately uh, qualified. But I also think we need to find a way to get the data on uh, workers who've been laid off entirely. I mean, you saw lots yeah. of food mm -hmm. service workers, restaurant workers have been laid off and uh, they mm -hmm. don't have any paychecks. So immediately they have to be prioritized. Um, I want to pivot real quick and I want to ask you if you know much about what's going on with the homeless encampment sweeps. And I know you and I have worked a lot together on um, different types of advocacy from City Hall and through activism. Um, and I was unfortunately not surprised, but really disheartened to see them continuing through this crisis. Um, have you heard anything about them? You know, on, uh, it's, it's very important that you're asking that. In, and it's, it's, a, it's frustrating. Again, you know, it's not a new thing. I mean, I've been around this block so many times now in six years. Mm -hmm. uh, when we ask questions, it's all, we're always given the runaround by Jenny Durkin's office. And unfortunately, that's not changed. This question came up 
today in the city council meeting and i was not the only one asking mm-hmm. other council members were also asking so uh, it's not mm-hmm. like it's some sort of um, isolated question because you know other council members are also hearing from a lot of community members saying stop it already i mean it's just inhumane in normal circumstances look at the data that showed that sweeps don't help at all i mean just uh, for for an administration that says they follow evidence based strategies i mean this is just uh, you know completely dishonest unfortunately they haven't given us a full response on that or any kind of response really one thing i wanted to say is was it i don't remember if it was day or matt one of you posted on your uh, twitter uh, feed a video of somebody actually being uh, swept yeah 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 it was day yeah can you do you mind sending mm-hmm. it to, uh, like emailing it to adam or someone in my office because i mentioned it to the deputy mayor and said you may Uh, it's uh, it's amazing to me that you're not even aware you're actually doing it because he said something to the effect of when well, no, i don't think we're doing it well i said well that's not true because i saw it happening so uh yeah, so yeah. the navigation team i actually just heard today um that the navigation team was told that there are no more sweeps happening because of covid-19 but the thing is i believe and i'm still trying to find out um the exact details that they're only canceling the scheduled sweeps mm-hmm. and so anything they deem as um obstructions or a safety hazard where they don't have to give the 3 day warning as you're familiar mm-hmm. with the 72 hour notice um that's why a lot of these sweeps that are happening which honestly are a majority of the sweeps that's it's all the majority uh, of the sweeps yeah yeah they're they're still happening 30 minutes um before So they're giving um, people in the encampments thirty minutes to pack up, and so actually all the sweeps that are worse for people are still happening, and all the scheduled sweeps um, have halted. So nothing's really changed except that um, the sweeps that are remaining are are the more inhumane ones. Yeah, and 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 like you said, already even before all of the coronavirus problem started, the most of the sweeps, like the overwhelming majority, let's be clear, the overwhelming majority of the sweeps sweeps are already. the uh yep. you know obstacle clearing obstacles kind of sweeps and then not the schedule sweeps where we don't have mm-hmm. a we don't have a heads up on those yeah yeah exactly and so i mean look we've we've made very concrete proposals and this is nothing new it's not that we have made it the for the first time in the context of coronavirus we've been making this for several years but we are now emphasizing them in the context of this terrible crisis uh that they should be immediately opening using a uh, progressive revenues to immediately open tiny house new tiny house villages they are very easy to put up you know they 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 can be immediately uh the structures can be built uh, with very little expense and very little difficulty there's lots of people community volunteers who who have done it and who would be willing to do it they would provide safe structures for the people to go into and so then you can use humane uh you know the employees of reach the reach program and so on to reach out to the homeless individuals our community neighbors and then bring them into the tiny house villages to keep them safe to keep the community safe that would be the humane and sane approach in normal circumstances and certainly in this situation but i but i don't know that it's going to happen unless we really agitate around it so no mm-hmm. direct answer from the mayor's office no no we didn't even get a direct answer really on nickelsville north lake tiny house village because there's one question of setting up new villages but there's the other question which is you know even seemingly even more bizarre which is why would you shut down an existing tiny house village which is housing 23 of our homeless neighbors what sense would it make in the context of covid-19 
to not allow them to stay in that community and then make them homeless and then start sweeping them, right? So we have been demanding uh, alongside the community that uh, we should have uh, the North Lake, uh, Nicholsville North Lake uh, Village be given an extension of a whole year because this crisis is a long-term crisis uh, and they haven't done that yet. But I'm hoping that uh, if we keep uh, you know, speaking up, that it will put pressure on the mayor. Remember, in uh, November, we won a victory to keep North Lake Nicholsville intact. Remember, the mayor was going to evict them in December, and she had to back mm -hmm. off. Mm -hmm. I thought the guy that came in and made you guys question today was remarkably tone deaf and didn't make a whole lot of sense in his uh, insistence on classifying these sweeps as obstruction meanwhile we're all like, i missed really that i missed house. that yeah. what did he say uh he basically was very careful to say that uh 72 hour sweeps are not taking place during this crisis mm. and then he went on to say i think that um the obstructions are still being cleared oh that's bullshit i was talking to tiffany mccoy today at real change and she was saying that from this fiscal year well 2020 at least um over 90% of the sweeps right now are obstruction based. Yeah, yeah. So it's exactly. like they eliminated like less than 10% of the sweeps. Yeah, and, and that's mm. not some changed policy during this pandemic that they were they were already doing that before before we got into this situation. So it's yeah, it's completely dishonest. And that was not just any official, it is the senior deputy mayor of the city. And so mm -hmm. uh, you know, we we really need to hold their feet to the fire. And I agree with you. Uh, quite tone deaf. I mean, and, and uh, you know, just it's it gets too much sometimes because there's a lot of tone deafness up there. And for every anyone listening, um, and also people connected with your office, like if you at this point, um, it's the same for the ACLU attorneys who have an active lawsuit actually against the city over um, the homeless sweeps happening, um, or the advocates at Real Change it's really hard to find out when these sweeps are happening because they technically don't have to let anyone know if they classify it as an obstruction or a safety hazard. So if you see a sweep going on, um, let us know. And so we can send some, you know, we, it, the best thing to do is send observers right now and question like what's going on. Um, because a lot of times these sweeps happen uh, somewhere um, in Seattle. And then by the time we find out about it, it's over. Exactly. Um, so the key is to really find out when it's going on and to be there present and um, to disrupt it yes. as best as possible. Uh, absolutely. Please uh, disrupt it. And also, uh, as much as you can, if you can take video footage of it, that's going to be very useful. Yeah. Uh, and we need, yeah, we need to keep the pressure up. Um, there's, there's some people. Uh, okay, so this is, I'm half joking, but half not. I, uh, do you think enough people are taking... Um, self-isolation self-quarantine seriously uh chrissy and i were walking really quick and trying to get home and um <laughs> cal anderson park is still really packed with people oh really playing around <laughs> yeah and it's kind of like it, it just makes me feel like we're heading into uh mandatory quarantine pretty soon i know there's been a lot of speculation i'm not asking you to speak on that if you don't have um, exact answers, but you know, there's been rumors about national guard. There's been, do, is there anything, um, true that you've been hearing in terms of mandatory quarantine? And if not, um, do you think it, uh, that's either the place we're headed or that's the place you recommend? 
I don't. Yeah, I don't think we are. We are. Uh, I, I've not heard any actual orders for mandatory quarantining yet. But it it is worrisome to me to hear that uh, people are uh, uh, going about their usual, uh, you know, games and everything. I saw a full blown ultimate frisbee game happening. I, yeah, that yeah. again. As I said, I'm I'm not a doctor, but that does not sound right to me based on anything I've heard. Just basic advice. I'm not a doctor either, but there is at least three thousand articles saying yes. stay home. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I could not have said it better. <laughs> exactly and and you know it should be okay to not have to play an ultimate frisbee and and you know again there's 3000 articles and there's examples of countries who uh, have right. faced the brunt of it mm-hmm. and they're ahead in the cycle and what they went through because they didn't do carry out testing and and social distancing uh, quickly enough and so uh, like italy i think is under lockdown france has been under lockdown so uh, San Francisco just announced today. Oh, sorry, San Francisco. Six counties in San Francisco. Uh, yes, you're Six right. Six counties right. in San Francisco. Yes. Yeah, I yeah, just heard that you're right. right now. Yeah, and that's eight million people. And we can't so be far happening. behind. Yeah, we can't be far behind. No. So yeah. Then, when the governor is making these specific mandates, how is the can- council alerted to those, and at what point in the process? Uh, I think for the most part, we have had um, not very much notice. We, we are told uh, that the governor is going to have a press conference or we are told that the King County Public Health is going to have a press conference. We do have some notifications, but uh, not not really in a way that you would imagine, especially given that Seattle, the Seattle area has been the epicenter for the crisis. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I also have to say on the flip side, it's not so much that I don't feel like it's not they're they're not telling us the, of about their actions in advance. I think the real problem has been again, you know, to go back to my original point, is that I don't think many of the things were done properly from day one, and even now testing is so rarely available. I think that is still a problem. Uh, I do think that we do we also have a social responsibility, all of us to carry out social distancing as much as possible. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, I think at the end of the day, we are headed into a similar situation that the Bay Area is already in. I have a question. Um, switching gears, kind of going back to the city level. Last week on Activist Class, we talked with organizers and they brought up disaster capitalism and how in moments of crisis like this and historically, that's always been an opportunity for capitalist and neoliberal policy to kind of sink its teeth deeper into the social, political and economic fabric of communities. And um, you mentioned earlier too, Shama, council member, that um, right now is not the time for us to not be paying attention right now is the time for us to organize and that online organizing works and so i'm wondering if you have specific issues or specific policies in this city that you think might be opportunities or might be areas that um the establishment are looking at to kind of like rein back the social safety net rain back land that communities of color have, rain back progressive winds, and then also acknowledge the fact that like this is a really, this is a mental health crisis as much as it is a, a public health and economic crisis. And I've talked to so many members of my community who are 
terrified. They're terrified, of course, because their families could get ill or because they've lost their jobs. But they're also terrified because it's really scary having the National Guard in our state. And it's really scary thinking about infrastructure of policing that could increase and never go away. And it's also really scary thinking about small businesses in the Chinatown International District, a neighborhood that's already vulnerable to gentrification, closing their doors and then losing the cultural fabric of our of our home, you know, and our, our legacy and our cultural legacy being displaced forever. So um, what are some of the things that you think could be on the horizon that activists and that people in our city need to be paying attention to right now? Right. I think that's an enormously important question for us to be thinking through. And I think I, I I won't even be able to give a full answer because this is just something I've just started thinking about. So we, we're going to need to follow up on this question as this crisis unfolds. And I think one of the things that is becoming clear, and also I think we're already seeing the impact of this in China, is the workers who are going to be laid off, and there's going to be so many more who are going to be laid off. I mean, I'm, I'm afraid to think. Uh, but to your point, uh, I, I foresee, you know, in, in terms of the way, I mean, for, for sh just stepping back just for a second, I wanted to say also that, you know, it's absolutely correct to uh, identify what capitalism does when there are disasters. Uh, and at the same time, capitalism is a disaster itself. So it's both disaster capitalism and capitalism is a disaster, even in normal circumstances. But it shows how sure. people, yeah, people, you know, that, that the system, uh, rather than being compassionate towards you in times of crisis, it actually squeezes more out of you. And one of the reasons they are able to do that often is because when there is a recessionary period, it, it scares people, you know, put, puts people on the back foot, you know, so when there's widespread unemployment, so if what happened in the Great Recession, you know, if the recession happened in 2008, the big banks got bailed out, we had a whole wave of foreclosures, people were facing massive unemployment. So if you look at the trajectory of movements and the timing of them, there was, you know, there was the first was, you know, the first moment was people were caught off guard. And then they had to hunker down and deal with their own personal crises of, you know, losing a paycheck and all that, losing their home, being evicted and, and all of that. But it was a couple of years afterwards, like in 2011, you started seeing the Arab Spring, the uh, Wisconsin public sector uprising. And in the fall, you saw the Occupy movement. In 2012, you saw the whole wave of uh, movements against foreclosures and evictions. So there was a lag between when the really bad period started and when working people started getting organized. I think it's possible that this time around, because the memory of the last recession is so fresh, uh, I think this time around, people may start getting organized quicker and I'm already seeing some signs of it. But I think we will need to go much bigger and much deeper on that. And so uh, to your question, I think the jobs that have been lost, we should expect that uh, as part of the austerity, it, there will be a real attempt to not bring some of those jobs back. And so it's a question of which jobs and where they can actually do it. But there's every possibility that they will try to put in automation in place One now that you know workers mm -hmm. have been laid off. Depends on which sector we're mm -hmm. talking about, of course. But I was mm -hmm. just reading a news article today that in China... Uh, millions of jobs that were lost in the, the worst of the crisis don't look like they're about to come back. So 
I think we we are going to need yeah and I don't know maybe they will maybe they won't but as I said it's too early to tell but it's something to be very vigilant around and so I, what I would say is that uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, you know things popping up like that where the capitalist class will identify every we can trust them to identify every possible avenue to squeeze us out even further and uh, extract the maximum price from us for the recession that we are heading into. That is exactly what they will want to do. But I think mm -hmm. the organizing that we are doing around immediate demands around the epidemic is what is going to stand us in good stead for organizing, you know, right after it as well. Because I think that it is, uh, you know, people are going to have um, fresh in their minds what they've gone through in this pandemic. It's not going to go away. But we also cannot leave a leadership vacuum either because people will quickly, if we don't get organized now, people will start feeling depressed, anxious. Already you see, you know, social media posts from people saying, can you post uh, something happy here because I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling depressed. A lot of that comes from being uh, feeling alone and feeling out of control. And I, in, in many ways, the best antidote to that, that kind of personal anxiety is to become part of a bigger thing. And uh, there will be lots, lots more that will that will not get um, that will, you know, that will be the permanent price. So in, in other words, uh, the, the, the decimation of many uh, people of color own small businesses. I think that is another avenue where they will try to keep the, those businesses from uh, reviving themselves. And so a specific demand that we need to fight around, not only now, but after the worst of the pandemic is over, is to uh, demand that there are uh, no interest or low interest loans for those businesses to come back up and to rebuild their communities. And I think that's going to be very important. I would also add, like along that same breath, I think what we've seen all of this really illuminate is just how illegitimate a lot of these systems truly are. Like the things that abolitionists have been saying for ever and progressives and leftists, like we need a, a greater so, uh, social net. We need to you know, talk about the fact that jails and courts and all of these things are not you know, public health investments. Especially I think when we talk about Seattle Municipal Court, which is where all of the people who go through that those are all misdemeanors. And so what this pandemic I think is illuminating for me especially is, you know, people don't need to be going through those regardless. Like they're not operating right now and the world, the sky's not falling, right? Like people always say like, if we tear down the jails, if we tear down these courts, the sky is gonna fall. And those very things are happening right now um, and people are fine. In fact, people are actually being able to see the priorities that truly matter, which are getting people housing, getting people you know, healthcare services, the things that actually do make people healthy, um, I think are coming to, to, to light. And so I also think that, of course, right now people are afraid. Um, but when we come out of this, which we will, I think people will actually be a lot more receptive to leftist po politics and policies, because they will have seen that, you know, the sky didn't fall when all these things went down. Um, and we actually can live in a world where those things don't exist in the first place. So it's, you know, not in an opportunistic fashion, but it is also a really good breeding ground to bring people into leftist movements. Oh, ab absolutely. Absolutely. This this whole pandemic is forcing people to see that this the system is so incapable. And, and, and as you said, Arita, 
it, it's it's really showing the illegitimacy of the capitalist system because you know we're told by the capitalist media by through the school textbooks everyone around us all these pundits they're telling us this is the only system and this is the best system no actually it's the worst possible system it's a completely anarchic system it doesn't work for us and we need something different so i think this this pandemic is um, really opening people's eyes to the possibilities of a different system um i know you talked about this throughout the podcast but maybe some quick bullet points on ways people who want to get involved and help under-resourced communities can step up during this time of chaos so first of all as i said i think it's absolutely uh, critical and paramount that everybody who's watching this uh, sign our petition for taxing Amazon immediately to make sure that we have cash assistance for people who are losing incomes and also struggling small businesses. And in general, uh, if you want to get organized but you you don't know where to start, you know I would really urge you to contact my office because we are sort of uh, you know we are connected with larger social movements, just like you all are. You know the hosts of this this show. Uh, because it's through knowing that people want to get uh, active is that we are able to build something larger. So I would say that's one of the big things. And then the other thing is, uh, I just wanted to quickly mention, uh, you know, Aritha mentioned the the courts, you know, something really outrageous, which I'm, I'm sure you all know, is the courts are still carrying out hearings on non-essential things like evictions, like misdemeanors. I mean, it's just stunning that they're doing this. I mean, the judge, I don't know what they're they're doing. So, you know, if you, if your viewers have a chance, uh, go sign the letter from Washington Community Action Network, which mm -hmm. is telling the judge, seriously, stop this, you know, stop. And, you know, and they're probably also violating the governor's mandate of uh, how many people should be gathering. Uh, so I think that those, those things are important. And then uh, one of the things that we will need to do is to find creative ways of social media and online organizing. So if people have specific ideas on that, we would greatly appreciate it because then we would, you know, really implement them and uh, put, put them to work, put those ideas into work. Uh, I think a lot of artists are unfortunately losing income, but so we have to make sure that they, they that they're made whole, but they also have lots of talent that they can provide in this time when we are restricted to social distancing so i would put that appeal out there as well we have a lot of people here addicted to social media so <laughs> that's true that that's true you, you guys are on the hook <laughs> oh my god my my usage of social media has increased by like a thousand yeah. percent i'm convinced i'm going to be a tiktok star my because phone of sent this. me a notification today that said 25 percent more screen time this week than last <laughs> it's week, increasing so. oh <laughs> okay are you so. gonna reveal how many hours you spent on your phone yesterday I'll reveal mine. I, I'm so ashamed of it, but mine was nine hours yesterday. Yeah. Wow, that's a recharge. You had to plug your phone in. I did. Oh, wow. I'm at six hours, 22 minutes, and I thought that was extreme. So, Chrissy, <laughs> you made me feel much better. Just before we go, I wanted to ask, you seem to have a little bit more information, presumably, than the folks on Twitter do. Um, so I'm just wondering, like, how how are you feeling about this region and the city's like ability to deal with this crisis i know that there's still a ton of fighting to be done um but just kind of like how are you feel how are you feeling are we going to be okay do, do you mean in terms of how the actual crisis that's it's, unfolding? yeah really like just the... like how yeah how prepared we are how how prepared our county is how prepared our state uh, is i know our national is a, a trash fire but 
<laughs> I mean, you know, again, look, I, I don't have more information in the sense that I'm also looking at the information everybody else is looking at. But I can tell you just my conclusion based on, as Day said, you know, the 3000 articles that we have and also the experience of other countries that have been ahead in the in, in the timeline. I am extremely mm -hmm. worried. I would like for us to not mm -hmm. be in as bad a situation, but statistically speaking, again, you know, this is something that I do know about. I, I, I don't know how we can avoid it because certainly we don't seem to have done what it would take to, avo to have avoided it according to health officials. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. We don't, we have mm -hmm. nowhere mm -hmm. near the kind of widespread testing we need. We don't have the hospital equipment. Uh, look, we, I just heard from a member of Socialist Alternative who is a registered nurse in Boston who just sent a report saying that in the hospital, you know, where they are treating COVID-19 patients, the nurses and other medical personnel are not given enough protective gear. They're being told to mm -hmm. share masks and things like that. I mean, that's, that's, I, I can't imagine how anything good can come out of that, uh, come out of that sort of thing. And so, uh, there was another question I asked today to the deputy mayor, which is, do you have any idea of our hospital preparedness? And right now, are we protecting our medical professionals, our EMTs, you know, all the first people who are on the front lines, who are the most likely, mm -hmm. just in statistically, again, speaking uh, how, to how much exposure they have and how likely they're going to acquire the virus. And I, I just don't feel confident at all. And, and the lack of the uh, Medicare for all system on top of all that is just... Uh, it, as far as I'm concerned, it's a disaster situation. But one, one, mm -hmm. we should always okay. hope that it won't get that bad. But I, I'm not sure. Well, that was not the no, answer I was looking not. for. So. <laughs> I'm sorry, Thanks. but there's Thanks, a song buddy. for this. I, I feel like <laughs> I'm pretty honest. <laughs> but no, I agree. I feel but, the same way. I just hey, was hoping maybe you. But you hey, knew something yeah. Hey, I'll, 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 I'll end it on a more positive note. You know what? Take social distancing seriously. Wash your hands. Get organized. You heard like it here it. first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Wash your damn hands. Yes. That's as positive as it gets. We always, we always appreciate you coming on. Um, I hope you get a lot of baking in. Uh, we're friends on Facebook, so I know you love to bake. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe. We're over 60 reviews. We're at five stars. Let's keep it going. Um, catch us on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes. Any podcast app, pretty much, we're on. Um, we apologize, I think, last time, the iTunes for desktop listeners, which I don't know who listens to podcasts on desktops, uh, was a little laggy uploading, but we're going to try to get that fixed. Um, so, yeah, look for this episode. Um, and also, disclaimer, I don't know if this will, um, Speck, you edit this in, but disclaimer, I'm sure from the time we record this to the time we release, news have been changing, has been changing a lot. You know, I'm going to put this, I'm going to get this done tonight and it'll be out tomorrow morning. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs>